I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 28, it's going to be published the day after episode 27. Welcome in, Mr. LaCour. Nice to be here, and nice to see that we're going to be publishing two back-to-back episodes. Back-to-back episodes. Hey, as we said on last week's yesterday episode, I was in Michigan, so no apologies there. But we've got a lot to get to in today's show. Before we do that, I am James Hahn II from TribeRocket.com. We are a sales-driven marketing firm. Our tagline is targeted traffic, qualified leads, closed sales. That pretty much says it all. And for you, Mark LaCour. Yeah, with uh, ModalPoint.com. Interestingly enough, we're the oil and gas sales experts. We're a marketing research company totally focused on the oil and gas industry. Yeah, that's what I love. Where your work stops, mine starts. So <laughs> it, all, it all works it, out. It, it works, works well, very, it? very well. It's getting darker earlier, though, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, uh, it does that every year at this time. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm a special I'm a special guy. All right, let's get into it. Angola, after various setbacks in deep water Kwanzaa exploration, attention turns to onshore with emphasis on local industry participation. Yeah, so as you can imagine, you know, deep water and ultra deep water is expensive. And in this low crude environment that we're in and that we're gonna be in for a little while longer, it just doesn't make sense anymore for them to continue to try to produce uh, in these deep water fields. And then quite frankly, some of them were duds, right? They did some uh, exploration wells out there and and they, there was no recoverable hydrocarbons or it wasn't f- financially worth it. So they actually switched, uh, switched around and started doing more work on land, which is much cheaper. And they're actually building the local um the local capacity to be able to drill for oil themselves instead of worrying about uh, leasing out to all the super majors and, and majors out there. So it's it's a good article showing how with a little bit of forethought, and if the government doing the right thing, you can actually uh, produce oil and gas revenues for your people and promote your economy and also produce fuel for your, for your, your, your population. So what's the, what's the local story in Angola? Uh, obviously on the West side of the African continent, but outside of that, do they do they have a lot of corruption and you know the routine they had a lot of corruption um it was ridiculous when money was flowing in from all the super majors or all the leases now that that money's kind of trickled down um the the government itself had to clean up a lot of the corruption um and they've been partnered with um uh, merck oil petrobras um and had these big oil companies help them grow their own ability to drill and produce hydrocarbons. So it's 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 the usual thing where you have to get the corruption out of the way before you can actually get down to business. And it says right here, Exxon Mobil declined. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Exxon said nope, not not our place. And do it. all because of the corruption. They're like, yeah, we we've seen this happen one too many times. Um, that was part of it. The, the thing about Exxon, it's so funny you bring that up. I was just having a conversation with somebody today. So when I, when I try to describe Exxon for somebody that's outside the oil and gas industry, I'd say, I'd say Exxon is a project execution company that gets oil out of the ground. So if, you know, if there's ever a, a man, um, um, outlook, I mean, a man, um, facility on Mars, I want Exxon to build it, right? <laughs> Nobody does engineering execution like Exxon. And so in this case, uh, Exxon says it's just not um, profitable for us to do anything here, so we're not doing it. wasn't so much the the corruption. Exxon, trust me, Exxon can deal with corruption. Um, but it was the fact that the hydrocarbons, the deep and ultra-deep water hydrocarbons, just were financially recoverable right now in this low crude market. So, yeah, it's just uh, the 
the cost of drilling the well out outweighs the benefit of getting the oil out. Right. So then why would anybody else go in? Because they think they can do something better. And remember, this article is about doing stuff on land, not doing stuff on water. Right. Got so it. Exxon Exxon had bid on some deep water and some ultra deep water. Well, right now it's just not economically viable. Got it. Okay. So th- they're moving this onshore, and and what kind of wells are they drilling onshore in Angola? It's smaller, smaller wells. Right. It's it's. Um, I'm not going to say it's similar as our independence in the frack fields, but it's the same line of thought where you have smaller operators that can do increased efficiencies with uh, you know less production, but then you have a bunch of smaller operators with less production. You add all that production together, and, and you're actually producing some serious hydrocarbons. That brings up an interesting point. I remember back in my days on the phones at Drilling Info, and I, being the novice to the industry that I was, I thought that only Exxon and Conoco and so forth were allowed in Africa, if you will. And, and, uh, man, one of the best conversations I probably ever had there was when, when a Texas, uh, small independent woman was like, Oh, hell yeah, you can get in over there. You just gotta, you know, they'll give you the bulletproof vest when you get, when you go up right. in, in the helicopter, but you don't put it on, you sit on it. Right. <laughs> so, all right. That's an old Vietnam War uh, t- tactic, actually. <laughs> really? Okay. The, the copter pilots would put a flak jacket in their seat and sit on the, the flak jackets because if you got shot while you're in the air, it would come up your, your rear end. So that's if <laughs> you would be sitting on that flak jacket. All right. So speaking of war, let's talk about procurement. Yeah, this is an interesting article, and I don't know if um, if, if you've actually had a chance to read the whole thing. So the company that actually— Here, let me jump in and just let the people know. So it's Outsourced Procurement Delivers Considerable Savings to Oil Companies. And this was a, this was a dead giveaway for me because I, I, saw, I so botched the, uh, the, the Nigerian accent last week, and I saw that, that these people have bases in, in Calgary. Alberta, Canada, yeah. So, you know, I can at least pull that off pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, so the name of the company that wrote this article is called Craig International. And guess what Craig International does? I'm guessing they do outsourcing of procurement. <laughs> they do outsourcing procurement. So this is Craig International writing an article about why other companies would want to work with Craig International. And they have a bunch of good stats in place. And, 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 and you know, we're joking about this. The truth is supply chain or procurement is an issue in every facet of the oil and gas industry right now. It has been for a while, and it needs to be fixed. Upstream, midstream, downstream, service all have procurement issues, right? Um and outsourcing makes sense in certain scenarios, and quite frankly, in other scenarios, it does not make sense. Um, now, whether you can convince a large super major to outsource procurement, it, it, that's a tall order, right? Because you're now eliminating jobs, and the person that would benefit from that is not procurement. You know, nobody that manages a team of procurement people for, for Chevron in Africa wants to hear about outsourcing procurement. So. Um, but the, the cost savings actually can be there because you can leverage spend, right? So if you're trying to buy pipe and you're buying pipe for Anadarko and you're buying pipe for um, Oxy and you're buying pipe for Chevron, you can leverage that and get much better prices and, and leverage the vendor to much better terms. So um, like I said, it's, it's, it's an article written by the company that benefits from the outsourcing procurement, but there's some good facts in here. Is it, is it an infomercial? No, they have they, – they, it's, it's close to infomercial. They, they talk about themselves just a little too much. I mean you and I and, and our audience as well knows this. It's, we don't talk about ourselves, right? We talk about what's going on in the industry. We talk about how we impact stuff. And if somebody wants to have a conversation about what we do, we do that. But we don't, you don't see us doing infomercials. It just doesn't work in today's world. And this, this isn't quite there yet. 
but with another two or three sentences about Craig International, we cross that line. I think. Well, it 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 was it was right on the line enough for to sneak in under my radar. So I will I will offer this up actually now that I'm sort of scanning through it as 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 a good example for everyone to look at of what not to do <laughs> um, when it comes to generating content because there's there's a lot. Let's actually um, just just a quick exercise. Um, whoops, Craig. Int. Yeah, it's keyword stuff. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Look at it. Too. No. What I'm saying though is that they mentioned the name of their company 13 times. Yeah. And okay. So, so, but I want to. But to hit on the point though, it can make sense and can not make sense when it, it can make sense when you're buying from several different people because these people have the expertise to beat up on vendors. Is that pretty much what you're hiring them for? Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to say beat up, right, to best leverage where, where they are, best leverage their finances, best leverage their terms, best uh, leverage their deliverables. Um, I, you know, years ago, I spent too much of my time on the other side of the procurement table um, trying to be beat up by procurement folks. And if you have something of, of value um, and you understand how the system works, you can, you can go around that. If somebody at, at Chevron wants to buy your stuff and you solve a problem, they'll buy it. You just have to learn how to work with procurement. Make them your friend. How do you do that? understand what they're after, right? So I'll give you a prime example. A lot of times, the um, especially some of the mid-level procurement guys for the big super majors, they actually get compensated the opposite of a salesperson. So if they can knock 10% off the price, they get something effective to a commission. Well, as a sales professional, if you know that, it's easy, right? You jack your price up 20%, let him talk you down 10%. He gets what he wants, you get what you want, and life goes on. Everybody wins. Speaking yeah. of winning, EOG has been winning quite a lot in the shale plays for a while. And this, I, I texted it to you earlier and I said, wow, I haven't heard about this. And we had a quick conversation on the phone about it. Could EOG be a potential acquisition target for ExxonMobil? Yeah, uh, this would, this makes sense. Now, now um, I have not heard this, but when you look at this information that's in this article, it's, it's some really good factual information. And, and basically in a nutshell, Exxon is huge. They're running out of places to grow. And we've talked about this before. They're running out of places to drill in the world because of the nationalized oil companies. So how do you how do you, and, and Exxon's doing okay financially, right? Their downstream earnings has bolstered their losses in upstream. And so if you have a lot of cash and you run out of rooms to grow, what's your one strategy left to, to grow? Acquisition. Yeah. And EOG is a great company that just happens to be in a low crude market. And so the value of EOG has dropped about 35 or 40%. Which means that if you're Exxon and you have the cash, which they do, you can buy them for, for basically 60 cents on the dollar. Um, and it fits perfectly in their portfolio. You know, Exxon is a liquids company. I mean, they produce gas, right? And they, they, they search for gas and they're commercially viable with that, but they like liquids. And so EOG has a high liquids component. So it makes sense. Even the, the dollars, if you go read the article and read how the, the, this author proposed the deal would go through, it just makes sense. So um, I can see this being very high probability. Now, the fact that I haven't heard even rumors about this, I would normally say would mean something, but Summer J kept Cameron so um, quiet. I, I heard no rumors about that at all. So it could be this is another case of them doing a really good job of keeping stuff quiet. So um, educate us a little bit because I – I'm familiar with the term liquid rich and liquids. Are we just talking oil, though? Oil, condensates, um, liquid LNGs, you know, literally anything that's in a liquid you could put in a cup versus anything that's a gas that you'd have to put in a balloon. 
that right there is the thing that you blew my mind about because I still didn't understand that until you explained to me that water boiling produces gas. Yes, it's called steam. <laughs> it's called steam. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Definitely not me. But hey, I'm not the scientist. I the chemistry is the only class I failed miserably. <laughs> and then uh, Mrs. Moki gave me a a e what was it a D minus. <laughs> just just to get me out of her out of her classroom. God bless her. All right, Schlumberger, speaking of which, so we got acquisition talk with EOG and then we talked about we just touched on it right now about Schlumberger and Cameron. Is this continuing the story from last week? No. This is a really good article and it's interesting. Um I just recently um you know, there, there's two major companies out there that that can really own the digital oil-filled space that have the global scope and the the resource to do it, and it's basically IBM and Microsoft. And I've actually engaged with both of those companies uh, recently, and IBM and Schlumberger have partnered um, on some technology. Now, that's a totally separate issue th- 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 than this article. Then I go to read this article, and it's a great written article in Fortune about how Schlumberger, the reason Schlumberger is buying Cameron is because it wants to own the technology value chain from beginning to end. And it's like, wow, this is crazy. You know, it's sort of like, um, sort of like you know, you and I are both Apple fans, right? Right. Apple owns that in technology on your on your iPhone from beginning to end. They own what makes the phone ring, what makes it work. They own what apps can be allowed on there, and they, they have it locked down. And what this article is saying is this author thinks that Schlumberger is trying to do the same thing, to own the technology from literally discovering the hydrocarbons, getting it out the ground, and delivering it to somebody that's going to buy it. And it makes sense. Schlumberger's prided itself on being a technology company from, from day one. Um, in fact, they love to acquire new technologies that they use to then serve their clients, which are the Anadarkos and the BPs and the shells of the world. Cameron provides the stuff that makes the oil field work. And now more and more that stuff requires technology. So um, very well-written article in Fortune, very accurate, very factual. There's some conjecture in here, but it makes sense to me. So practically speaking, when we talk about technology that they're acquiring, when Apple goes out and acquires, I don't know, whoever, Microsoft acquires Skype, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I hate Skype now but <laughs> you and i have a long not necessarily great history with skype right but i i it's easy for me to make those connections because i can i i know the infrastructure that they're buying what what sort of technology and infrastructure are they getting in specifically okay so so slumberjay calls it pour to pipeline so literally what imagine that pour as in the pores in the rock got it to pipeline as in deliver it to an end user okay so Imagine that you are, are going production or imagine you're drilling, doing exploratory drilling, and you have something called measurement mod drilling. You have a bunch of sensors behind that wellhead that's recording all kinds of stuff. Cameron makes that thing, right? Mm. And then once you go in and once you go and then before you even start drilling tests, you do a bunch of geo modeling, right? Slumberger already has that software that does a geo model. Then you go and do a test well, and then you go into production, and you got to look at flow rates and temperatures and pressures and all those. All that comes from the the tree, which Cameron makes. The sensors are in that tree, and then you got to take that oil, you got to clean it up, you got to separate, get the sand out of it, the water, separate the gas. Cameron makes all that separation equipment. See where this is going, right? So, so the actual, if you think about it from a, a computer point of view, Cameron builds the hardware. Slumberger already has the software to run on that hardware. Got if it. If you want to make an analogy out. And it's, this, is, this is good stuff. 
This is good reporting. I'm also thinking back to a recent conversation that you and I had about Walmart and how they revolutionized everything by owning the value chain and having all of the shipping and all of the trucks and everything right. like that. And so there's sort of an analogous thing going on here there. Yeah. So Sam Walton's genius was not Walmart. It was that he figured out the logistics is where the money was. So he owns the logistics part. Walmart's just the outlet for the logistics might of Walmart. Um, and this is sort of the same thing where Slum, Slumberjay is looking at, look at all the stuff, all the movement, all the technologies, all the information that flows back and forth. What if we build something that owns that completely from cradle to grave? That's fantastic thinking on yeah. that part. <laughs> I, do, you, do you own Schlumberger? Uh, actually, I do. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you, I think you mentioned it last week. All right. So I got to give a shout out to my girl, Jennifer Dulouis. I always try to get her name right, and I hope it's right, Dulouis. Um, at any rate, oil export vote brings political risk for some lawmakers. Yeah, and here's an update that I bet you're not aware of. Did you know that today the House panel passes a bill to repel the oil export ban? I, I believe while I was digging for the links, I saw some headlines about it. Yeah, now it still has a bunch of stuff it has to go through, but there's, there's the first step. And we've been saying since last year this needs to happen, so let's hope it happens. So the article is actually – um, is by Fuel Fix. It's written very well, and it's and it's basically showing how the the hard part is could be to get the more liberal Democrats to agree to export crude. Everybody that knows the industry, both Republicans and Democrats, know it makes sense. It's the ones that don't know. One of the quotes I read was um, one of the Democrats that opposes it says, "Well, it's good. It's going to export uh, crude refining jobs outside the U.S." That's mm. like. Okay, mm. refiners can't hire enough people right now. I'm not quite sure how that means you're going to uh, export those jobs. They can't hire enough people right now. What it's going to do is it's going to move some more refining capacity outside the U.S., but the refining capacity is for sweet crudes, which we have a hard time refining anyway. So, um, you know, it's it, it would be like us taking um, some, you know, some tree that we can't do anything with and send it to a country that can do something with it or some fruit or whatever. So, um, you know, once again, it's perception and it's politics, uh, the people that know what's going on. And for our listeners, I mean, you know that if we lift the ban, we can export our sweet crude to countries like uh, Central South America who have the refining capacity to, to refine it. We don't. So then they get a break. Our our operators, the price of crude to go up, our operators get actually make some more money. And because we're increased efficiencies here in the U.S., um, our gas and diesel and jet fuel prices will actually go down. It's really a win-win for everybody. Let's just see if Congress can, can get their hats on straight and actually make this thing happen. Sign on the line, which is dotted. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, nothing? You got no love for me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we can play that clip on the unless no. we want to <laughs> change our rating. Change our rating, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I liked this headline. I, uh, I, I stay ignorant of all things, um, as I'm really good at that, so that <laughs> I can fl flow with it. Um, but, but I really like this headline here. Uh, on the road to progress, oil and gas industry relations with public growing better. So what are they yeah. talking about? So they're basically talking about how the oil and gas industry has learned the hard way, unfortunately. Um, look at what happened in Denton right here in Texas, that a handful of, of, of people, squeaky wheels, can get laws passed to ban either the refining or the exploring for, for, for oil and gas, right, which is not a good thing for the, for the country or the local communities. It's a bad thing. But if you have people out there misquoting stuff and, and 
you know, launching half truths or, or downright lies, and enough people believe it, then you have bad stuff happens. And the oil and gas industry had to learn the hard way that in order to keep this from happening, they needed to get out there in the public eye at the local level and tell the truth. Stick with the facts. Don't get emotional. Don't get political. Uh, a very good one for that is the whole, well, fracking contaminates groundwater. No, it doesn't. There are 20,000 wells right outside of Dallas and 5,000 people. That's four wells per person, right? The state of Texas has extensive monitoring out there that you can go online on the public website and actually look at. There is no contamination of groundwater ever, and there's no air contamination. That's a lie told by the fractivists. So um, this article is talking about how companies like such as Anna Darka, who does a great job of this, actually gets out into the public. And when um, – you know, the anti-oil and gas activists are starting to spread their, their rhetoric. Anadarko comes out with the facts. Um, and, and, and the oil and gas industry has learned. Now, we still, you and I both know that this industry has a lot of growth to go down this route, especially as far as effectively using things like social media. But we're headed in the right direction, which is awesome. Yeah, I love it. And I know that site. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I will dig it up and I will put it in the show notes, which you can find at triberocket.com forward slash TW28. So, yes, people, um, let's get some keep the transparency train rolling because we don't need to be out of, you know, cheap, abundant, reliable fuel. <laughs> and speaking of non-cheap, non-abundant, and non-reliable fuel, we have an article from Biofuels Digest. Yeah, James, what the heck? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're going to go through it, but what, what the heck? I, it came across my radar, and I was like, let's just, let's just slap this around a little bit. Um, okay. Because they're, I, you know, biofuels, I mean... I don't know. I'm from the Midwest. Don't get me started on ethanol. Um, but yeah, so let's let's so go the ahead. above yeah yeah the above ground oil field or why 65 and 94 dollar oil are inflection points for renewable fuels. All right. So I have nothing at all against biofuels. It actually makes sense in some in some areas. Same way with renewals. In some places it makes sense. Unfortunately, in some places it doesn't. Um, th- think of hydropower, right? If you have a train chain and you have water, you can build a dam and generate electricity from hydropower. It makes sense. If you're in the Sahara Desert, you cannot build a hydro dam. It just doesn't make sense. It's the same way with renewals and biofuels. So this article is trying to show an analogy between the profitability and the cost of biofuels, in this case, algae-based biofuels, and Ooh, conventional algae-based. Oh man, that algae. that was that was the first uh, the first article I ever edited on drillinginfo.com was about algae these 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 um miracle algae farms out in the desert right yeah and so they do a real good job and it's this article is very um one-sided all the facts are pitching away just to make themselves look good um they leave some little things out that are kind of important like water algae only grows in water millions and millions of gallons of fresh water they leave out the fact that need a lot of sun. So this biofuel from, from algae will not work north of Mason-Dixon line in the U.S. Um, they leave those little parts out. But basically they're showing that at $65 a barrel the, that the biofuels aren't economically feasible. But at $94 a barrel, they are. They compete. But it's not really true because they don't go th- through the complete value chain. And you mentioned ethanol. 
Here's something a lot of people don't know about ethanol. You can't move ethanol in a pipeline because it absorbs water out the air and it corrodes pipelines. So you have to move it around in a truck. So the transportation cost for ethanol is prohibitively expensive. The only ethanol, so the 8515 gas stations that you can find in the U.S. are in the central part of the country. Think Iowa. Why? Because that's where the government subsidies are provided to the corn farmers. So the corn farmers are paid extra to produce ethanol instead of use that corn for food. Now, the vehicles that can run E85 fuel are predominantly on the east and west coast. Why? Because that's where their environmentalists live, and they think by just buying an E85 vehicle, they'll help the environment. Well, they would have to drive it to Iowa to fill it up with E85 (laughs) fuel because that's the only place you can get it. So there's a perfect example um, of why in that scenario – um, ethanol just doesn't work. Now, people will bring up the fact that ethanol works in Brazil, and they're absolutely right. It works well in Brazil, but there's two big differences, right? Not to get into your chemistry too much, but in Brazil, they produce ethanol from sugarcane. So it's one-step process. You take the sugar out and you ferment it, and then you distill it, and you have ethanol. In the U.S., we have to produce ethanol from corn. It's a two-step process. Corn has no sugar in it, so you have to dry it out. You have to sprout it, so you have to make it want to turn to little corn plants, and that's called malting. That's when you have sugar. Then you can, um, um, uh, dist- uh, then you can mash and ferment that sugar, that malt. Then you can distill it to get ethanol. So that extra step in the process increases the cost by fifty percent. A lot of people don't know that. So um, great article by who's this magazine? Biofuel Digest. Right. It is so slighted. It's it's an ad for biofuels. It's not really a research article at all. Right. So the last point, though, that uh, that I skipped. So cheap, reliable, abundant, scalable. And I think that's the point. And I think that's one of the bigger problems that I always see with with Americans that get so swept up. And well, look at Brazil. Well, how big of a country like so if we did the map fight, right? Um, this they're, stuff, they're, this stuff can work to the equator. They can grow sugarcane. There's a much less need for ethanol, and quite frankly, Petrobras is doing everything it can to get rid of ethanol and switch to gas because it's cheaper and better. Well, it's not only that, but what I'm trying to say is that is that renewables, where they make sense, it's always very localized because, like you brought up with the ethanol, you can't. How, it's so hard to transport. And right. the same thing with with solar. Okay, so we're going to run the whole country on solar. Okay, well, good luck building that infrastructure. Yeah, you know, solar makes sense, and so does wind, right, in the right area. But nothing makes sense completely. Um, our energy needs to have a mix in what is best for the planet and what is best for our economy. And, and, and um, you know, petroleum is a, is, is a very good fuel source. It's very inexpensive. At least in Europe and in the U.S., we can uh, burn it with uh, almost zero emissions. You know, our air pollution peaked in 1979. So, um, you know, n- nothing against biofuels renewables. They fit in the mix somewhere at some time, but not across the board. Well, that, and that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm, in, in, I'm probably coming across pretty anti-renewables, which I'm not. What I'm anti is people looking at America, which is a very large country, and saying, well, look at what they're doing in Germany. Well, isn't Florida about the size of Germany. I mean, yeah. and and you, I don't know if you know what happened with Germany, but they stopped um, their renewable program because it was it, they doubled the cost of electricity in the entire country, and people were t- tired of paying that much money for electricity. Yeah, they also canceled the wind farms offshore in Scotland for the same reason. It just doesn't make fiscal sense. Great right. idea, doesn't make sense when it's your money being spent or your factory of Volkswagens shutting down just you know randomly. <laughs> so, all right, moving on. Let's let's talk about 
Australia once again with Chevron because we had their, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the project. I'm, I'm not going to get it. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's Powering Careers in Energy, PCIE. Yeah, so well, I'm talking about what we what we uh, talked about on last week's yesterday's show <laughs> um, <laughs> with the, with the Chevron because they were out there with all the natural gas and all that. But yeah, so this here is students. Oh, the Wheatstone per- Project. Yes, the Wheatstone. That's it. Yeah. So students participate in the future of energy. Yeah, it's um, you know, I have a love affair. I have a man crush on Chevron Exxon both. I can tell. Uh, yeah, Chevron just does a great job in local communities in fostering education in, in young people. So here's here's a program in Western Australia, and it's and it's Chevron's initiative. And it's called Powering Careers in Energy, and it's basically increasing the energy literacy, literacy in schools so that students know where electricity comes from, not just the wall outlet. So students know that it takes energy to produce an iPhone, and where does the energy come from? And it's just it's just a great program. And what I thought was so cool is that the Australian government partnered in there and Australian government actually gives college credits for this class that Chevron's putting on if as long as they stay in the uh, Western Australian school system. So this is a win-win-win. The students win because they get exposed to education they normally wouldn't have gotten exposed to. Um, Western Australia wins because now you have Chevron picking up the costs and efforts of educating its young people, at least partly. And then quite honestly, Chevron wins because they get to expose a bunch of young people to the science of engineering, which of course Chevron's looking to build that a base of engineering talent all over the world. So this is just a great program. That's a win-win for everybody involved. Yeah. So you're hitting on the, the STEM pathways in the yeah. secondary schools. It's yeah, awesome. absolutely. That's great. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's pick it up because, um, man, we went so far. <laughs> so we went 50 minutes last week, uh, yesterday and, uh, and I'm just, uh, uh, I'm just, I'm just letting it, letting it slide here. So let's move on to our commercial break. Many of y'all listening to this show are small business owners in the oil field, just like Mark and I, whether you're upstream, pushing through the downtimes, midstream, fighting for market share downstream, trying to move inventory or a small service company looking to boost sales, we all need revenue. Like any skill, growing a business isn't easy. It takes persistence, patience, tenacity, and guidance. That is why uh, starting in the end of September, so it's coming up here, we're going to be launching in the next couple weeks, uh, Oilfield Revenue University, discover how to drive website traffic leads and sales on a scale that was only available that was once only available to industry giants. These are the same strategies I used to build Drilling Info's platform. Mark LaCour totally transformed his business. There's all kinds of great success stories that I could go on and on about. Um, but this is basically me showing you in 12 videos and then also adding a video a month to the platform and then having a monthly conference call called the Rainmakers Alumni Conference Call because those are the alumni, the Rainmakers. And so everybody can ask questions, get answers. And so it's it's for y'all small business owners that want to make it happen. Um, and it's sort of a, you either have more time than money or more money than time. And for y'all that have the time to put in to learn how to do this stuff, I'm here to teach it to you. For more information, visit triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue, Oilfield Revenue University, a proven step-by-step guide to exponential revenue growth for small oilfield businesses. Once again, that is triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue, triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue. I got to do that. All right. Uh, Onion of the Week, scientists, confidently art- confident artificially intelligent machines can be programmed to be lenient slave masters. And 
given some of the AI videos I was watching the other day, that actually sounds like it's pretty accurate, so it's kind of frightening. Um, we have an extra in here for anybody who wants to really geek out how wide azimuth, I remember learning, what, azimuth? That's right. <laughs> azimuth. Um, yeah, it took me, I think, about a week and a half to really grasp, and I'm still working on it. But um, So how wide azimuth, long offset seismic reduces field development costs in the Bakken. This is, there's a lot of meat on the bone in this article, so you can get that in the show notes. And then on to events, triberocket.com forward slash events will take you straight into Mr. Mark LaCour's page where you can put in your email address and get notified of all of the events that are happening all across the globe. We have two coming up this week, next week, <laughs> I should say, Turbo Machinery and Pump Symposium. What's this about, Mark? It's exactly what, you, what it sounds like. It's a bunch of, of, of um, vendors um, that provide pumps, valves, fittings. It, it's a really hands-on show. Um, it's, it's a great show. We'll be there, I think, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, I, the reason I love these type of shows is I get to actually talk. The people that are in the booth are the guys that are actually in the field. And, and I love those type of shows. I get, I get real input on what's really going on out there. So you know, if you have an interest in talking to any of the companies that would provide any of the parts and pieces in the oil field, this is the place for you. Yeah, so I, I need to get down there. At the, George, at the George R. Brown Convention Center down here in Houston, Texas. And, of course, as we, as we talked about on last week's Yesterday Show, the Houston Energy Breakfast, Thursday, September 17th, 2015, at the Weston Oaks Galleria. And you got to go to this show because, full disclosure, they are Tribe Rocket clients. And help a brother out. Yeah, hey, out. look, they're they're not modal point clients. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be hosting a coffee pod, basically a, a panel discussion on the side. We go because of the quality of the people in the audience. Literally, my table last time I went, everybody there was director level above in the oil and gas industry: Chevron, Anadarko, BP, Halliburton. Um, no sales guys, nothing against sales guys, but I had no sales guys at my table. And I'm, you know, some high quality networking. And then the topics, the way they run the show, um, this is some kind of in your face, real actionable information about the oil and gas industry. So this is uh, very pertinent. It's very personal. We love this. I mean, anybody, anytime that you can get me dressed up in a suit, you know, I have to really like it. <laughs> yes, it does take you a, it, it, it some, uh, some, some Takes begging, some begging yeah. has been involved in getting you even just to put a, a collared shirt on. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can find out more at triberocket.com forward slash breakfast and they're going to have uh greg garland from phillips 66 and uh skip york from wood mckenzie and skip's awesome and oh man i gotta have the the full list in front of me here but we're going to talk about it in just a second anyway all right moving on to reviews we didn't have any reviews because um i published last week's show about 30 minutes before we started recording this one. Um, but I did want to give a shout out to Matthew Dobson. You're, you used to be in this world. What is a global account director at AT&T doing listening to our show? Um, he's probably on the oil and gas side of the house. AT&T has a dedicated oil and gas practice. He's, he's what's called a GAD, which is just a horrible acronym. Well, I used to be a SPAM. Yeah. <laughs> Small yeah. business account manager, SPAM. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, Matthew, uh, thanks for listening. I'm, 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 you know, anything we can do to, to make your world a little bit better, you know, let us know. But uh, uh, James and I, you probably didn't know this, both at one point in our past work for at and Yeah, a few different times. I was knocking doors selling U-verse to get to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had I had Bell South's uh, oil and gas book of business. I had it all. And then at and bought us. So nice. So up. so yeah. So Matthew said, if you aren't listening to weekly oil, uh, to the weekly oil and gas podcast from Mark Lacour and James Hahn the second, you are missing out. The podcast offers great content and discussion about the industry to almost anyone wanting to keep up with trends and news. Highly recommended. And he gave us that shout out via LinkedIn. And so thank you for that. All right, big finish. We have the video still available. As in, it's it's ready to ship. We're shipping it currently. It's amazing, um, which is not not the video that Mark and I have done, but the one that we did for KCA, which is called Four uh, Four Make or Break Business Drivers for Successful Oil and Gas Budgetary Planning." And Mark, what did y'all talk about? So literally, I sat down with two of the most influential people in the industry. Literally, uh, one of the guys, their company wrote the book about. Um, um, decision analysis. Decision analysis. And we literally talked about what you need to do in this low crude prices when you're thinking about your budgetary plan for next year. So this is this is some great information. It's easily digestible. Um, I think, what did we end up, James? Four minutes? Um, I was able to get about just under seven just by yeah, uh, so cutting seven them minutes. together. So, so it's not like you'd be sitting there for half a day, and everything we talk about is actionable. So good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot to be said about the planning that's happening for 2016 – right now yeah yeah everybody's doing next year budgetary plan this last quarter of this year so before you get your excel spreadsheet out and get your team of people to figure out what you could do with your budget watch this video yeah so you just text htx breakfast to 33444 that's obviously houston texas breakfast htx breakfast all together just text that to 33444 and you will be sent that video immediately I just finally got back in the LinkedIn group because I was traveling, and, and LinkedIn does not have the ability to manage these groups via phone, and, it, and it's really annoying. Um, but, uh, but I am very happy to see there's still a steady stream of people joining the LinkedIn group, and like we said on the last show yesterday, a couple hours ago, um, if you want to hear us talk about things on the show, bring them into the group, and talk about and talk about them amongst ourselves and then whatever generates the most conversation we'll definitely be talking about it right mark yeah yeah anything that you want to know that you'd like to see james and i talk about well not anything almost anything um go ahead and, and post in a linkedin group and if we get enough traffic around it, we'll happily add it to the show absolutely and you can get there at triberocket.com forward slash linkedin i think i'm done mark and 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 we're gonna have to cut this show back a little bit more next week Yeah. Okay, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. We will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. 